You and are the Yoda of abdominal tumors. On a scale of one to five sexist surgery machines. I've been rooting for the unicorn to show up ever since I saw it on the whiteboard. <laughs> Thank you. This is serious business. Greetings, there's a Guardians of the Galaxy trailer. House of Cards Season 2 has been released and True Detective is blowing our minds. And I'm sure, what, what else are we talking about? We're talking about something else. Anyone? Fantastic Four. Ah, the Fantastic Four, right. And this is Serious Business. I am Jeff, your host for this week's episode. And yeah, that one got away from me a little bit. Just a little. Something else on your mind, Jeff? I don't know. I don't know, maybe. Mm. Something. Mm. Might be slightly distracted. But uh, anyway, I'm joined this week by Rob. Rob, how's it going? It's going pretty well. I am glad to hear it. Just pretty well? Not like really? It, no, not really well. Why not? I don't know. Sunday. Sunday. Is, is the, the weekend's not... almost over. Yeah, is the um, weather not nice enough for you? Uh, actually, it, it's gorgeous here. I've got the windows wide open. It's just sunshine and sound of birds. and It's pretty great. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is pretty great, you uh, monster. Actually, no, it's been, it's been pretty good on the East Coast, too, lately, although we're about to get polar vortex in the face again. Oh, my God. But... I've heard horror stories lately. It's just like Hoth over there. Yeah, yeah. At least we're at least none of us are in Chicago. So uh, at least there's that. Thank God for that. So Rob, the Oscars are coming up. Do you have any impressions about uh, what's going to go down? Uh, and are you going to be watching them? Well, I usually watch them just for shits and giggles. Usually, every year the Os- Oscar nominations come out, and like for five minutes, I'm enraged. <laughs> there's there's usually like some injustice somewhere in there that. The, my film geek brain sort of latches onto, but then I just kind of step back and I've sort of detached myself emotionally, divorced myself emotionally from the Oscars because that shit will drive you insane. Like this year, my favorite movie of the year didn't get any of the major categories, so I don't know. I check Which out. Which was? I, it was uh, Inside Lewin Davis uh, from the Coen Brothers. That one uh, tugged at my heartstrings quite a bit and. It was my favorite, so yeah, I don't know. It's fine. There's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of like political and industry reasons about town about why it wasn't picked for anything. But I don't. I don't know. I I, I watch for the fun of it, not for any sort of emotional investment anymore. Mm-hmm. You want to you want to see like movies that you like get sort of like rewarded within their industry. Mm-hmm. But then at the end of the, ultimately, it's like ah, oh, here's like all the pageantry is just like I don't know. So far removed from it, it's 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 just them patting themselves on the back, basically. And the Coen Brothers don't exactly need help. No, they don't. I mean, they've had great years yeah. uh, in the in the past. Any year that they would release a film and get sort of snubbed mm-hmm. uh, would be a tragedy. So it was bound to happen. But <laughs> for this particular movie, is probably instantly one of my favorite Coen Brothers movies. It seemed particularly cruel. But I digress. I will be watching. Hopefully live tweeting because that's like the best part is Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. So it'll be fun. So you can join the conclave of internet film buffs yeah. who uh, and like who start making inaudible noises as things are going. Just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. If I have to pick like a winner of the nominations that I would like to win, I would say uh, Twelve Years a Slave. I think uh, that was my. That's my favorite out of all of them. I don't know if it. I know it's one of the front runners. I don't know if it's going to be Gravity, but uh, yeah, I'll be rooting for that with the slightest of enthusiasm. Nice. And what, if anything, are you drinking on this uh, Sunday? Yeah, I've had, uh, just poured myself a little Evan Williams whiskey with ice. Hmm. Classy. Mm-hmm. Simple. Mm-hmm. 
Nice, mm-hmm. I like it. Mm-hmm. Well, and moving on, we got Kristen. Kristen, how's it going? It's going well. Conditions are eerily similar to Rob's, actually. The windows are all open, and it's like 50 degrees here. It's awesome. What? Yeah, yeah. and they turned our heat on like super high in our apartment. We can't Ooh. seem to turn it down. So it's actually <laughs> way too hot. Yeah, that's not pleasant. So, Kristen, are you going to be watching <laughs> yeah. the Oscars? And what, if anything, do you think about the nominations? I have no cable, so if I get invited somewhere, hint, hint, I would watch. But it, mostly I'll just watch Twitter and then try to figure out why five people in a row just went, What? Why? And so <laughs> cross-referencing that with, you know, the news and everything. I mean, I don't have a ton of strong feelings with the nominations. I think, you know... There weren't any, like, clear stinkers in the nominees, like, compared to some years. I mean, it was a pretty strong crowd. There's a lot about how, like, it's the same five movies being nominated over and over again, which is sort of annoying, but I haven't even seen all of them. I do hope that Matthew McConaughey wins Best Actor, just because that would be awesome, and I haven't seen Dallas Buyers Club, but just based on his work on True Detective, and also I don't want Leonardo DiCaprio to win. Because Wolf of Wall Street, <laughs> because Wolf of Wall Street wasn't good, and also it's just gonna be so funny, because he keeps getting like nominated, and not winning, and it just becomes such a thing that it's just like let's keep it going. Oh, with DiCaprio? Yeah. Well, it's just uh, like I that, didn't realize, but it's like yeah, a running it makes joke sense. of like he is never gonna win an Oscar. They're just gonna cut oh. to him, and he's just gonna shrug. They're like, yeah, I, yeah, I guess. No, I think, he's, <laughs> I think he's kind of upset by it, so he might look a little devastated. Oh. Yay. And I I love Gravity, but I also want it to not win so I can see a bunch of people make the same defying Gravity joke over and over again. That joke will happen a lot. Yeah. I'm sure. Cool. What, if anything, are you drinking this fine Sunday? I have a Shock Top Raspberry Wheat. Ooh, that sounds tasty. Mm. It's already half gone. I'm jealous. It's Jelly. like the last one left over from a party we threw. It was game night and waffles. Mm, good party. Yeah. Very cool. So let's see. Oscar-wise, I just don't care. I <laughs> really, I, I just don't care at all. I will perhaps watch to see if Ellen is funny. Uh, I like it when the hosts are funny. Maybe Ellen will be. Sometimes she is very funny. I thought so. she was funny the first time she hosted. Is it Ellen doing it? Yep. I Ellen totally forgot about it. that, but... Mm-hmm. I totally forgot about that, too. Yeah, I think this... Yeah, you're right. This is her second time hosting, and uh, I think she'll she'll do well. She tends to do pretty well, these sorts of things. And I saw that Gravity was nominated for Best Score, I think, and that is a crime against everything. Yeah, I saw you tweet that, and I thought you were kidding, because nope. what the hell? That score is amazing. What? Yeah, I don't know what your problem is with it. <laughs> Whoa. Now There's... who doesn't care about the Oscars? <laughs> I guess I just found the music very minimal. Yeah. Which is good, but perhaps <laughs> not so good that it deserves, I don't know, that kind of I don't. I don't that remember kind the of score gravity. Yeah, that's sort of how I feel as well. I thought it was amazing. All right, all right, fair enough. Fair the only enough. I didn't buy it is because I thought it would stress me out constantly. Mm. Ugh. And uh, I am drinking precious, precious water because I am <sighs> still getting over a bit of an illness, and I should not imbibe alcohol at the, at the moment. Yeah, yeah. That shit kills germs. I, I've thought about that. I've really thought hard about that, and I've come to the conclusion that it's not true. 
<laughs> Apparently, white water. I've come helps. to the conclusion of science. Yeah, that poison I've, in your I've body that. may have some benefits <laughs> when ill, but probably the consequences outweigh the benefits. Sure. But at least Fine. I would temporarily like feel better. <laughs> yeah. So let's get things kicked off with the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer and a scene. Peter Jason Quill. He's also known as Star Lord. Who calls him that? Himself, mostly. He's wanted largely on charges of minor assault, public intoxication, and fraud. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know how this machine worked. They call themselves the Guardians of the Galaxy. What a bunch of a-holes. I can't stop this feeling. There's a talking raccoon. There is a talking Except raccoon doesn't that talk. doesn't talk. Yeah. Yeah. In the trailer, that's true. Yeah. There's, there's if you if you click on the little thing at the end, uh, there's a clip does, of him talking. talking. Yeah. Hey, Bradley actually, Cooper, what the fuck? Yeah. That's yeah. Nice. Why? Why would you pick him? Why not? He's done plenty of voice work. Has he? Yeah. As well, I think he's supposed to be, well, not, not supposed to be, in the comics, he's Cockney, and he just sounds like uh, American bro. That's in the, So that's a little disappointing, because, you know, it's a like bros. Going, yeah! Oh, come on! Right? Yeah. I that's know. your whole pitch for the movie, as far as I'm concerned. Like, the rest of it, you could, like, yeah, hey, you want a talking tree, too? Whatever, man, just give me that raccoon... <laughs> Call John like Rice Davies now. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, are, are you guys familiar with the source material at all? No. Not really. No. Yeah, me neither. In fact, I... when they announced this, uh, was like right after Avengers, I think. I'm not so much a reader of these things, but I am familiar with all the titles and how they sort of intertwine. I'd never heard of this before. Mm -hmm. So, I went straight to Wikipedia and was like, huh? I guess uh, I guess this is a thing. I don't know why they're choosing it over so many of their other properties, but, but apparently they're building toward, towards this big space movie for Avengers and the third Avengers movie or something. So they're trying to get that going. Mm -hmm. At least that's the word on the street. Right. And by I, the street, I mean Reddit. But, yes. I do know that it has kind of a pre-Hellboy movie-ish cult following that, that is similar to kind of what what prompted the creation of the Hellboy movie is that it seems to be something that has a sense of humor. It's very tongue-in-cheek, and yes. a lot of people gravitate towards it. All I know of it, really, is when I go to comic book-focused forums, I often see a lot of avatars and signatures that are references to it. So it definitely has like a strong, committed fandom, I think. But I was into it before, it was cool. Yeah, and also, uh, just for the record, I'm totally full of shit. Bradley Cooper apparently has not done any voice work. I really, yeah. I really <laughs> thought, I really thought he was in With a face one, of those, that one of those Ice Age-ish movies. Yeah. One of the thousands of Ice Age-ish movies that have been made since Ice Age was made. Like Rio or something. But you I guess, I guess he was not there. Up into the recording booth, my friend. Yeah, no, he's way yeah. too pretty. Uh, that's fair enough, fair enough. I actually, I dug this trailer. I, yeah. I, was, I felt like the tone was really good. I love the aesthetic and the pacing. Oh, I think it looks gorgeous. Yeah. I think it looks great. How many times do you think the word Firefly was brought up? Because <laughs> this looks like a really, really expensive Firefly, which is not a dig at it because I think that's actually kind of a cool idea. 
Yeah, it looks like Guillermo del Toro does Firefly to me. Yeah. I got and... a Hitchhiker's Guide vibe from this trailer. Oh, that's interesting not a too. Bad yeah. Either. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, I think it's his name is James Gunn, the, the filmmaker, the director. He did Super, which is his last movie, which was like this weird, really violent and graphic uh, superhero story. And I don't know. It was a weird choice when they picked him because I thought, man, they want to sell a lot of toys. Why would you pick like this, you know, this hard R director to do this? But it looks great. And I don't know if they're going to go with sort of a more adult treatment of this. I mean, even the middle finger trick in the trailer was like, man, you'd never see that in an Iron Man. Mm -hmm. Like a Thor. Like it does feel a little edgier, which I think is great because so many of the Marvel movies are just polished beyond belief and really sort of neutered to get Mm -hmm. all all the kitties in the seats which isn't a bad thing but it is nice that if this does end up being a little more adult that would be cool and it's not such a major property that maybe they're willing to risk distinguish yeah Yeah, i hear what you're saying uh the other thing that stuck out to me was definitely the casting i know we've already chris pratt i'm so happy for him chris pratt is uh pretty good choice for this character it looks like again not too familiar with the source material but i imagine they're getting it right in that he is some kind of doofus hilarious doofus who, <laughs> who somehow inadvertently succeeds at everything he ends up having to do i'm just surprised uh, whenever i hear his voice not to see his face be just like yellow and monochromatic and have like three expressions because i just saw a lego movie and it's fantastic uh, it took me a second. I was like, where is she going? <laughs> no, uh, yeah, like, what, his, his, what? his voice is so distinctive that I keep seeing, you know, Lego a little bit when I hear him talk. Oh, Lego. I haven't seen Lego yet. I got so is everyone, a, is everyone a Chris Pratt fan from, was it Parks and Rec? Yep. That he's on? Yeah. So, is that, so, so everyone who likes Parks and Rec is, this, because I, I don't know him that well. I, mean, I don't watch Parks and Rec, but everyone is like so pumped for Chris Pratt. And I'm like... I guess. I mean, he's he's a big handsome. lovable doofus. Um, yeah, yeah. Parks, and, Parks and Rec. He's it's a great show, and he is great on it. So yeah. I imagine that's it. And that, and he's not super well. Like I think it's exciting for people to see him get a break like this, be like a lead. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. And um, he's actually, but we also he's much oh, sorry, smarter. He's much smarter um, than Andy. Uh, Andy is fine, but he's simple. And if you see him like in, he does like a lot of paley stuff. Um, you know, like the panel interviews and everything and he's like he's very well spoken he's very sweet and interesting to see him rectify like both sides of his personality of being like a giant doofus but also like kind of thoughtful um and yeah he's adorable and i he also tweeted pictures of himself working out and that doesn't oh hurt. i do remember that yeah yeah Steamy. yeah th- there's like a gasp throughout like the parks and rec fans like what he looks like that now mm-hmm good stuff so yeah we've also got the voice of vin diesel we've got zoe Saldana. we've got lee pace uh karen jillian for all the doctor who fans they're they're like rounding up every sci-fi woman who's been in stuff lately uh benicio del toro's in this movie wait where's lee pace i didn't think brangela anywhere i don't think he's in the trailer i'm just looking at uh at the cast list but it looks like there are a couple i i bear like i don't know comics super well but are there Celestials involved here, I think, that are some big deal in the Marvel Universe? Because he plays Ronan the Accuser, and there's also Korath the Pursuer, and I think those guys are meant to be space gods or something. Yeah, like I've, heard of, I've heard of Ronan the Accuser. 
He's like a Fantastic Four villain, I think. But he's a space guy. Or maybe a Silver Surfer one. They're all sort of... There's like a very definitive like space sort of world for Marvel, and he's definitely part of that. And for Benicio Del Toro, spoiler alert for uh, the Dark World, but he is in the secret scene at the end. Oh, that was him? Yeah, so that's him collecting the uh, right. the black mist or whatever, Man. which is one of the infinity gems or something i don't know but he i th- i don't know if he's the villain in guardians of the galaxy but he might be sort of like a job of the hut kind of he's like the uh ron perlman ball. character from uh, yeah Rim. from right, right. Rim. yeah and i actually like benicio del toro a lot so mm-hmm. he's very silly it's pretty likable very, dude yeah and he he's always comes off as uh kind of wild and silly mm-hmm. so yeah the cast is great glenn close is in this movie what yeah She's Commander Rail. I assume that's how you say that. R A E L. Rail. Yeah, sure. We'll, <laughs> we'll decide. But yeah, I mean, this looks like a pretty cool movie. I think our uh, let's wrap up this discussion with the "Are you going to see it?" question, starting with Rob. Uh, I will see this. Yes, I'm very curious about it. Cool, Kristen. What about you? I didn't give two hoots until the trailer, but now I think I'm going to see it. Nice. I, too, am going to see it. So, moving on to the comic world, we've got some additional news about the Fantastic Four. Rob, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Okay, yeah, so this week Fox announced their cast, their core cast for the Fantastic Four reboot, which is being directed by Josh Trank, who uh, is a young director. He His uh, breakout was Chronicle from a couple of years ago, yeah. uh, where he worked with uh, Michael B. Jordan, who most know from The Wire. But now he's a movie star, and he'll be playing the Human Torch. Jamie Bell, who... God... I know he was the dancing kid in that movie. Name. He was a dancing kid in that movie. He was in a Green Day music video. Billy he's Elliot. been in stuff. Yeah, Billy Elliot. He'll be playing the Thing. I heard that the Thing is going to be completely CGI for the reboot. So I don't know if he'll be voice acting or motion capture or what. Oh God, I don't even have to look up Miles Teller, who I don't know at all yet. Uh, he'll be playing Mister Fantastic and Kate Mara. Uh, who we'll be talking about a little more later. She w- will be uh, Sue Storm, the Invisible Woman. Here's the thing that strikes me. Uh, actually, Jeff, do you want to talk quickly about that thing you, you brought up? Yeah, I mean, I, I was looking at a couple of these articles, and there are several articles out there that have the four members of the cast together. And aside from the obvious, you know, Kate Mara is the Invisible Woman, it's really hard to actually figure <laughs> out, if you, if you don't read the article, who is playing who. It's be, it's probably because of the age of everyone involved. Right. And I'm sure with costuming and makeup, it will be much more apparent who is is who. But just looking at the headshots of the cast, right? there are any number of ways that the three male leads could break down that all could be explained or work. Uh, right. So it's, it's just funny. And it's probably because... Uh, you know, these are relatively fresh faces as well, so they're not really established in my mind. I never saw The Wire, so I know. Ugh. I know. I know. <laughs> um, no longer friends. I know. I know. I know. I'm I know. signing off. No. Um, but, but yeah, so I don't I don't have a mental, aside from Kate Mara, I don't have a mental vision of these people. I can't hear their voices in my head. I, so I, I really have no idea just looking at an image who is meant to be who here. And that's funny because the characters in the comics way 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 past the silhouette test like you know who is who they're very distinct personalities it's it's weird it's kind of funny that is weird and uh fresh face is certainly the adjective to use here which is not a bad thing but 
you know, and I am sort of of this ilk of, you know, the sort of reaction that came is that these these people are so young and they're so young looking. And, you know, Mr. Fantastic is supposed to be like one of the top geniuses of the world. Miles Teller is like 23 or something. Like he's definitely supposed to be more like, I don't know, like uh, more like Tony Stark. I was thinking of like a real life, like more like Steve Jobs than teenager. So I'm sure they have a new treatment on it that works or that works on paper. You make these movies because fans already exist. It's it's always it's always sort of weird and sort of counterintuitive to sort of like change the formula so much that the fans are just like, eh, what? This is supposed to be, you know, they're supposed to be older, like a family sort of unit. And these are just a bunch of characters that usually play teenagers. So it's sort of splitting the hairs to put a casting under the microscope like that before we even... Have a trailer, see, yeah. Yeah, a trailer or, you know, even just see the movie and see how it works. You know, in terms of the faces that they're putting with, with the characters, it's different. It's definitely different than past treatments of this material. Can I just say that... Say it. I, I don't know anything about Fantastic Four. I didn't even watch the original movies. And they had Yoan Griffith and, what's his face, Captain America. In the oh, <laughs> Sevens, yeah. Yeah, and I still didn't watch them, so, I mean, that's saying something. But, you know, just as cast, my only reaction was, well... Isn't Kate Mara a little busy right now? Yeah. Apparently mm-hmm. not anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good, good segue into uh, yeah. into our House of Cards discussion. So uh, I think on that note, we should take our first refill break, and we'll perhaps explain that comment a little bit more <laughs> in just a minute. We'll be ready. House of Cards Season 2 was released, and I should warn people that there will be some spoilers. We will not spoil the ending of the season. It's a little tricky to deal with spoilers here, because obviously all the material is out there, but is it realistic that people have watched it all yet? I don't know. It depends on your amount of free time. Yeah, exactly. And I I understand, Rob, that you have some thoughts about that in general, about the release. Oh, God. Uh, I'm not going to go into it too much. I'm actually working on writing little something up for the Tisby blog, but I think we're reaching maybe a little bit of a tipping point, or at least one is in sight now that we're two seasons into House of Cards. We're binge-watching, sort of inhibiting the uh, communal sort of enjoyment of these shows. Was it a couple of nights ago, Kristen, I spoiled something just because I couldn't figure out what episode I was on. Yeah. And this has happened a lot where, you know, before even that happens, people just sort of like give up about talking about it because it's like, oh, I'm on, you know, six or seven. I can't really remember. And another person is just like four or halfway through four or whatever. And they're saving it for later. And it's just we're not, because we're not experiencing the story at the same time. It is sort of strangling discourse about it. And the discourse is actually how television means anything to us i think it means something to us personally when we watch it you know one-on-one with the screen but i think all those things actually reinforce when we share them with other people and that isn't largely happening with any of the the binge watching netflix originals so uh in a nutshell that is my concern and my my sort of thesis for this phenomenon going forward but at the same time i did dive into house of cards season two and I a like little it. bit against your will. <laughs> yeah, you know, I it was first a curiosity because I was like, man, I don't even remember 
season one. And that's the other thing about binge watching is where it compresses everything that you watch into like this this very slim file that fades very quickly mm-hmm. from the the computer of your mind. So I didn't remember anything. But it turned out that wasn't a huge problem because like the second major character I remember from season one yeah. is killed. She gets murdered in the face. In yeah. the face. I was by like, subway I train. watch it frame by frame. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't that was, oh, yeah. Which was brutal, yeah. And here's where all I, the blood starts to splatter. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really the Fantastic Four that killed Kmar, not not <laughs> Frank Underwood. All, all the so, others, though, like, I was pretty happy that she died. But we, we've never extensively discussed House of Cards on Tisby before, so maybe we should get, maybe we should back up a bit. But Kristen, do you, do you like the show? What are your general feelings about it? I watched the first season in about ten days, mm. and it only took that long because I had, like, work. But it would be, like, twelve o'clock. I'm like, well, one more episode. It's just something that sucks you in. And, like, even though I understand almost none of what they're talking about, like, tort reform, I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter. And, it, like, it appeals to, like, you know, I liked I, Claudius and that sort of thing that kind of... And I it reminds me of that a lot, especially with, like, Robin Wright as this incredible character who reminds me of Livia from I, Claudius. And she's my favorite part of the show. So there's just something that, like, I can't stop watching him. <laughs> Definitely staying up late to, you know, make sure I see it all. And like I watched most of it this weekend because I felt like I needed to make time for it and really kind of pay attention to it. And mm-hmm. last weekend was spent watching True Detective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I also like House of Cards a lot. I do go through ups and downs with it, but mm-hmm. the theme song gets stuck in my head. <laughs> like, I love the opening sequence. Like, I grew up around D.C. I recognize everything in that sequence even the lion statue i know exactly where that is <laughs> it's it's really fun to watch that as as a quote unquote dc native i just i i think that the show is at its best early in both seasons i yeah. think the first half of season one and the first half of season two are by far the strongest portions and then it just sort of doesn't figure out what it wants to be and and devolves a little bit into something that's too procedural. That definitely happened in season two for me. Like, the, the first half of season two is probably my favorite bit of the show. I was super into it. I was like, oh my god, everything that I didn't like about the first season is now gone. Because uh, I was shocked when Zoe died. I, like, I was like, no! And, uh, and then I realized, like, an episode or two later, I was like, holy crap, everything they're dwelling on now is so much more interesting and better. Um, uh, I disagree. Oh really? Well, let's yeah. let's hear it. Well, I I thought that her character and this sort of like tit for tat, you know, conflict that she has with Frank Underwood against basic character in the first season was really sort of like the engine of the show in terms of what are government processes and how much of that is deserved to be public or transparent. And she was sort of that that window of like, you know, should we expose this or that? And she slowly gets corrupted. And I was looking forward to how they were going to expand upon that in the second season. And then it got pushed in front of a subway. So I wouldn't say that it ruined the show because I am enjoying season two. There's something about that decision that felt manufactured in a way that was like, okay, it's not that this is where the story's going to go. It's that this actress isn't available anymore. And how do we make our pilot hard-hitting? 
I think that's so, fair because yeah. like that that act of violence seems unlike Frank, and he's usually a little more calculated than that, which made me wonder like how long has he been planning this? Um, but right. I think it was like a spur of the moment sort of decision, or at least very recently decided. It would have on. had to have been. I mean, that train was pretty well timed. You know, that, the timing that was excellent. But I mean, like, did he? decided the subway to meet her there because he was planning on killing her you know that sort of thing but like it's never revisited either like they don't kind of come back to like he is a killer and you know in the first season he is too but it's i don't know oh it's much more <laughs> subtle and sort of like tragic with uh is his russo the name yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah that that felt like organic to the character but mm -hmm. this was just like okay i'm actually with my bare hands murdering someone. Yeah. And I feel, yeah, I totally get what, what you're saying, Kristen, where it didn't feel out of the realm of possibility, but it, mm -hmm. it felt overly accelerated. And, and um, then she's never mentioned again, except for, you know, her boyfriend. Yeah, and that right. becomes a completely it, separate thing. Yes. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, I got two episodes left, but that to me too has become sort of a dead end where they're just sort of like lopping off this this entire journalistic branch of the story right which i which i thought is actually kind of a strange move because like i said in in the, the first season i thought that was sort of like the engine that kept this series going was this fencing match between the fourth estate and government so i, I don't know i totally uh, totally agree with that and i think that that should be the core conflict, and I was... The reason I don't like the second half of the season is because that is gone, and the Tusk versus Underwood battle is way less yeah. interesting. Like, yes, it it's, is. It, that, that is where it degenerates into procedure. It's like, Tusk isn't even that... He's not interesting. He's not and interesting or unlikable in a way that's unique yeah. compared to Frank. Yeah. He's become yeah. so mustache twirling. A lot of the villains have. Or, or Kills that bird. Or, that or, was awesome, exactly. though. Or, or gerbil <laughs> stroking. Like, mm -hmm. the guy in his chair with, like, the pet in his hand. <laughs> it's like a fucking gerbil. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. That was so fucking funny. That's yeah. also odd, too, that they're, even, the, like, the hackers, like, the anarchists in the show are, are not... As interesting as, as yeah. you'd want them to right. be, right? And it, you had uh, you had something really good, really good when the hacker was conflicted about setting Lucas up. And if yeah. they had gone the other way on that, if they had had the hacker stave him off or something, anything to keep Lucas a part of the show, I think it would have been ideal. Getting rid of Zoe for me was not satisfying because of getting rid of the conflict that you were describing, Rob. It was satisfying because I just didn't plain like her character. She okay. she was not a likable part of the show, and her drama was contrived, and there were so many scenes involving her that the show got carried away with itself. Like, my least favorite scene in the first season is the spider one where she's on the phone with her father and Frank is oh. having sex with her. Oh, really? And I was, I was, I was like, really show, like, you really need to show us how fucked up you are. No, you Isn't don't. Isn't it so weird that that's, like, one of the few scenes from season one that I, like, vividly remember? It is a memorable scene, <laughs> oh, yeah. if nothing yeah. else. You know what I mean? But um, it's, it, to me, it struck me as just trying way too hard. I was... I was maybe that's why I remember it, but yeah. I don't know. When you're binge-watching stuff, that kind of stuff really needs to be a sledgehammer to the face because, like, you are just taken off like a bullet train, mm -hmm. and uh, it all becomes a blur. But go ahead, Kristen. No, it just seems 
odd given how they've decided to go with Kevin Spacey's character. Right. And can we go, can we talk about that? Yeah. So they hinted at some stuff. I remember you asked me about that. You were like, "Are they saying?" I think it was like the fifth episode of the first. Oh, episode. like yeah. It's the it's the bottle. Well, it, yeah, it is a bottle episode. A little it's bit. The bottle episode in season one where Kevin Spacey gets his library, mm-hmm. gets his library at uh, his alma mater, and I'm like, "Are they talking about being lovers in the past with his like nope. old like?" <laughs> Army, and I was like, I need Kristen's take on this. I thought I knew, but I need Kristen's take. Yeah. And she was like, Yeah, they're definitely talking about that. So, uh, <laughs> so I gathered all my my information and results, and I was like, Yeah, this uh, he's bisexual. He's bisexual. Well, in that bisexual. It it seemed like oh you know they experimented in college or whatever. Right. Um, right. But now okay, that's a good point. Yeah. But now, now it's, it's full like blown. Claire's his beard, and like, and it makes sense because they are not intimate at all mm-hmm. for most of the show. But they clearly love each other, so that's not the problem. And I love that they're, like, definitely love each other in their own weird way, but it's real. And so when episode 24 hit, I was just so happy. Because there's that scene where the hot young guard, like, catches him watching the porno, which is, like, two guys and one girl. I'm like, oh! Just so yes. deliberate, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he could have not... shut that. Like, he knows. Yeah. He's such a bastard. It's oh, not God. super subtle, like, the hinting that the show is doing, but I was still, like, felt really proud of myself. I'm like, they're gonna do it! So when it finally mm-hmm. happened, I was so... And I was wondering, like, had it already happened and they're gonna reveal, like, that, or is it something that's still coming up? So when it did, I was just so happy. Yeah, it's not super surprising when it comes. And the show had been on a long drought for any sort of weird sexual content. So <laughs> then they're like, bam, bisexual scene, bam, lesbian scene, like right one after the oh, other. Oh, Doug yeah, too. Oh, poor Doug. Poor Doug, Doug he's such a dick. Yeah, I, I have a hard time saying poor Doug. I, and it's funny because the show does an amazing job of making you somehow sympathetic to that horrible, I, horrible man. I was at first. I, I'm not anymore. I, it's really is it in the last two episodes? Because yeah. there's something about Doug to me that is, is he just exudes like a like a shrieking unhappiness. Like he, I feel like he hates he hates what he does, but he's good at it, and he's compromised his like the best years of his life. And that's why the the whole I forget the the character's name the woman character that he saved Rachel 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 that's why Rachel was such like it was like a raft did well okay well didn't he buy like an apartment for her did, yeah what? to hide her away and yeah. control her horribly yeah but yeah. he could have left it at that but he kept yeah. helping her. My, well, my, no, he could have killed. Am I this wrong? The only, the only thing he could have done that would have been worse is if he could have, is if he just killed her. But he's not a nice guy because well, he didn't just like get rid of her in a ditch somewhere. I just, like, he's still a dick. Exactly. I just, I just like the metaphor of the sort of, and he, this is the thing about House of Cards is that all of the subtext is uh, is plainly stated when Kevin uh, Spacey turns to us and is like, uh. "Here's the subtext," but the adopted son who is now sort of angry and realizing he doesn't want to be part of his family and has compromised so much of his life. And now there's like this this younger adopted son who is sort of mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, threatening to usurp him. So I don't know. I kind of like Doug. And uh, he is a... This is this is such a show that is just packed. It's, it's It reminds me of Mad Men in a way. It's just such the awful people, but you oh, still yeah. love them. 
Like I, I, I would say that Doug is one of the more sympathetic characters because he's an underling, where Frank is just like at the top of everything, right. and is still a bastard and gets away with everything. But Doug answers to someone, and his life is you know this this compressed, angry, quivering ball of servitude that's ready to explode. He's got a dog-like quality to him that makes him a bit more endearing. Because yeah, I struggle with this too, where like. Rationally, I hate Doug, but irrationally, the show somehow does paint him in this weird, sympathetic light. But I do hate him. I like I do not. I've never, like him. I've never hated him. Yeah. Well, th- I think Frank is smarter than he is. Sure. Like he, Doug follows orders more than anything. He right. doesn't do a lot Hence of his own thinking. Yeah, yeah. And so I like Frank more. I mean, yeah, I, I don't think it's a competition between the two. They're very different people. Frank mm-hmm. is smarmy, and Doug is just quiet. And sad. <laughs> Quiet, sad, and angry all the time. Yeah, I lost all sympathy for him. Can I ask Kristen one last question? Do it. You, I think maybe I saw a tweet from you, but uh, you were sort of angry about the uh, the new Claire oh, backstory God. that we got. And uh, uh, I thought that, that was interesting because I, I hear what you're saying, but I feel like they're actually using it to sort of illuminate some of the other good things that you were we're saying about their relationship. So, go. I don't... <laughs> it just feels like they thought about it for about five seconds. Uh-huh. I don't need her to have a reason to be cold and closed off. They kind of hint that she was like that before, based on how she describes how she reacted to being raped when she was in college. Mm-hmm. But they're using this more as like a reason for the way that she is. And I didn't mm-hmm. need that. And it's just like... What's a traumatic thing that would make people feel bad for her? I know. And it's like, oh, come on. Like, maybe yeah, find uh, yeah, something else. You. Like, you know, she had a relative who died. Some, you know, anything. She's an orphan. You know, like, pick something else besides just this one I don't, thing. It felt like an extra reason for something that was already well established. Especially if they were going in the way that making her, you know, a full-on beard for Frank. Like, yeah. you don't have to explain the... The coldness and the you know the sort of like pent up and like why well, he's kind of protective pent up of her, person, but like yeah. it, it, you don't need that. I don't agree with you guys at all about like anything about this show. It's very interesting. <laughs> okay. No, I, I think I think I don't agree with you here because I saw it less as a reason for her coldness and more as primarily a humanizing factor, which something like gave her a bit of heart and be something through that conduit. It it gave her something sincere to do. Because she has had nothing sincere to do for most of the series. Like, most of what she's been doing is entirely insincere and is to gain power. But in giving her something to actually care about, it creates an interesting situation. And without saying too much, it does kind of lead to a very powerful scene with that character later on. Like, yeah. one of the only powerful scenes with that character. So, I don't know. I, I, it I don't didn't have to be that, though. Well, I think maybe it just worked given the other characters that she had to deal with. Because it specifically had to deal with the military. And I think that in order uh-huh. to create a military antagonist, they had to... Uh, yeah, I think having a military antagonist for her made it work better from a, a plot standpoint. But I don't I'm know. sorry, I, just humanizing her by having her be sexually assaulted in her past is kind of horrifying. It's not it's not that that act humanized her, it's that giving her something to care about humanized her, if that makes sense. 
It just didn't have to be that. Maybe. Um, I mean, yeah. No, it didn't. She's sure, a made-up character. Uh, you can make up anything about her. It could be anything else. Uh, and, and it's basically used as, like, it's also, like, in the episode itself, too. It's like, let's use her trauma as a way to fuel Frank's rage and make it about right. him. And it's just, it was just kind of uncomfortable making, and I think they could have done something more unique and smarter. Well, I think we should probably do uh, a, a bit of final thoughts on House of Cards because we do need sure. to bond a true detective. So let's start with Rob on that one. Rob, what are your final thoughts on season two of House of Cards? Well, obviously, I've already talked about my trepidation about how Netflix originals work in terms of how they're distributed. But that is not, I want to be clear, that is not a knock on the talent and the storytelling that goes into the actual work. So I was hesitant to jump back into season two only because I didn't remember much of season one because I did binge watch it like some of us here and most people did. But getting back into it was satisfying again. I actually, I felt that Kevin Spacey's character in the first season was a bit hammy and that the whole season was sort of like trying to have a foot in in both arenas or it it was kind of like pulpy but also very serious and going for some sort of, you know, prestige drama show. It may still be that a little bit, but I feel like, you know, returning to it felt good. And I feel like they've maybe even figured out some of the tonal things. I feel like the asides to the audience have sort of been minimized. And actually, when they do do it, it's act- it actually feels more satisfying. Maybe that's me getting used to the tone of the show, or maybe that's them sort of figuring out when to do it for the most impact. I have two episodes left. I'll probably watch them between today and tomorrow and i'm looking forward to see what happens i feel like what (laughs) what jeff was saying about like it being strong in the first halves of the season i can see what he's saying and i i I will admit that's the second season the the late episodes i've watched have lost me a little bit in terms of conflict i do miss the journalistic angle that they were playing off in the first season with the kate mar character zoe but it's still continuing to be just straight to the vein, entertaining. And it's hard to bash anything for that. It may not have a larger thesis. It may not be as subtle as we want it to be or as, you know, posture as being more important. But uh, I feel like it's posturing less and it's good. I'm excited to hear that there might be a third season and I'm enjoying this. And uh, yes, I'm a fan. Sorry, that was really long. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't that long. Let's move on to Kristen. Kristen, what are your uh, final thoughts on House Cards? This is some compelling shit. And, yeah, it's hard <laughs> really to... really is. It, it's especially... Uh, it's hard to self-monitor when you're on Netflix. You're like, next episode. Next episode. Are you still watching? Yes, I am. Keep playing. You know, I just keep binge-watching it. Now I'm sad it's over. And so, yeah, there are some parts of it that... There's some choices that they made that I didn't like. But it's still... It's fun. I really like the characters. I like a lot of the new characters. I think, what's her name? The new whip. Mm -hmm. Jackie. Jackie, yeah. Like, some of the choices she makes later on, I'm like, why are... She doesn't seem to have a reason for them. Yeah. Like, I get that she's military, and so she's trying to protect the military, but it just seems like such a bonkers position to take. Yeah. That I don't understand why she's doing it. It's just to set her up as the antagonist or anything. But she's still an interesting character, and I like watching her. So, I like where they're going. I'm excited for the new season i don't know if they're gonna be able to knock it out in a year because it, it was only been a year between seasons which is weird for me uh, <laughs> do you want the the standard sherlock like yeah. three years <laughs> five years later like yay uh <laughs> and 
like, like being a George R. R. Martin fan. Oh my god. And I like what they do, how, like, each episode is so, like, compact, and it's, like, 24 hours, maybe. But then they skip a lot of time between episodes, so that they move on very quickly, and they just get to the most important highlights of whatever political scandal is going on. So there aren't just, like, days where people are like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen today, and they're, like, just sitting around waiting for the next big thing to happen. They just move from one to the other. So I think the pacing of the show is really good. And definitely, like, keeps me hitting the next button way into the wee hours of the night. <laughs> that is a problem that many people have, yeah. I think. No self-control! Like well, I, uh, I am a big fan of House of Cards, although I am disappointed that there is a third season. And the reason for that kind of ironic statement <laughs> is that I feel like it would have benefited from a preconceived ending. And without saying anything about what happens, I really enjoyed the final scene of oh, yeah. this season, but God. I did not like the ending of it at all. Oh, I if that liked makes it. sense. If that makes sense. I, uh, I think it, and a lot, it's for conflict-related reasons. I think, again, as Rob stated earlier, I was also very disappointed with the fact that we got away from the journalistic conflict and instead it was about, like, this amoral businessman is now standing between Frank and what he wants, and he works with several other amoral businessmen, and just the, the, the fighting, the battling between them was not terribly interesting. That and the character of the president is also a little too passive, a, lot of, a little oh, too... He's such oh, a we didn't even talk about that. Yeah. The yeah. president of the show I know, I know. Is, a, is a such a doofus. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's so stupid. Yeah. yeah. What... He's in like what alternate reality man. was he elected to, like, the most powerful chair right, right. on the planet? Um, uh, I do like House of Cards. I feel like the show doesn't have as much to say as it kind of presents itself. Uh, I mean, yes, it's like, oh, politics is cynical. We're like, really? Wow. But uh, I, I do like uh, the characters a lot. I think that there's a lot of potential for them to boil over. I do wish that... Uh, Lucas, the other reporter, had stuck around longer. I feel like yeah. he was one of the few kind of shining beacons of, you know, hey, look, an okay person. And he was still, <laughs> he was still somewhat okay interesting person. as an okay person. Like, <laughs> an okay person. Yeah, I know. I know. It was weird. Everybody else on that show sucks except that guy who was like, <laughs> you know. He's, the, he's, the, he's kind of the Russo of this season. Like, mm, that guy Russo. who you're like, come on, leave him alone. <laughs> He just wants to live his life, or he just wants justice, or something. With his hot girlfriend! Yeah, exactly. But that in that way, like, he, he was interesting in a flawed way, because he obviously loved this person who was really broken. Like, really not a good person to love. So, I, I liked Aww. that, and again, that was another thing that could have been interesting about her being removed, is that now, the fact that she was not a good person no longer matters. He can love her... From beyond yeah. the grave, as it were. And and it yeah. can still be this kind of pure thing. So I thought that was interesting, but it doesn't end up. Spoiler alert, it doesn't go anywhere. It's like, oh, he's in jail at the end. So, I don't know. I, 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 I love and hate House of Cards, I guess, is what I'm getting <laughs> yeah. at. I, I think I would give it an incredibly high rating. But at the same time, I'm just sometimes like, oh, man. It just leaves me feeling sort of sad. What, whatever you have to say about it, and like I'll remove... Like, if I imagine this coming out on a weekly basis on, like, a network, whatever you have to say about its flaws, it is, as as Kristen said, undeniably, like, addictive. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, like, for sure. I, I, I feel I feel like if I had to wait a week to watch, I'd still watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So I think we're actually going to take our second refill break now. <laughs> and uh, and then we'll be back with uh, Rob and Chris. are going to talk True Detective briefly. And then uh, we'll wrap things up. <laughs> what do you mean briefly? We're, we're going to attempt. We'll try. To talk try. We'll try. Oh, man. <laughs> so we'll be everything. <laughs> And we're back! Because I had a thing going on, I was a delinquent and did not watch any True Detective, so I'm, I'm woefully behind. But Kristen and Rob have been watching it, and they want to discuss it. So I'm going to throw it over to Kristen to get us started on True Detective, and then I am going to vanish into thin air for a little while. Oh, fuck! Okay. So, True Detective, it's the uh, HBO show starring Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey. Two southern boys investigating a murder in Louisiana, and I mean that's kind of the that's kind of what the marketing was giving us, and it seems just like another procedural, but it turns out to be a little bit more than that, and that's actually why I started watching it is like oh there's someone who winds up dead and antlered. I like those kinds of shows. Yeah, there, there's a supernatural, I- very like low key supernatural element that is coming out more and more in each subsequent episode, which has definitely, like, hooked me more. So it, it's much more Twin Peaks than Law & Order. Yes, that's <laughs> exactly right. And I would say that the show, and I mean the showrunner and sole writer, his name is Nick Pizzolatto, he, he's been sort of very adamant about how, how he doesn't really care about serial killers or sort of the procedural nature of it. And you can tell by the episodes, I mean, mm-hmm. for sure. But you make a very good point, Kristen, in that when the show does have an opportunity to sort of like flourish the creepiness or the the ominous points of the murder, it does take advantage of that. And there is like this sort of seven-ish current underneath what's going on. The murder is ritualistic. I mean, tying back to Kevin Spacey, but uh, (laughs) uh, it's it's a very grim celebration of sort of of murder but how it ripples out to the the personalities who are investigating it and even more so to their lives uh you know wives girlfriends children that sort of thing so yes and what you had a revelation or something there when i was talking please tell well, us well i don't think it's necessarily glorifying murder oh i i, I misspoke there that was wrong <laughs> uh i would say glorifying sort of like popular uh, popularized like murder imagery for entertainment's sake like the the antler thing was like a very much a centerpiece of the show and they're still mentioning the antlers you know what I, I, i'm saying that they're they didn't find like someone shot like in the chest in the field like this is mm-hmm. this is something that that's very much like uh done up in a sort of a pageantry that is what i'm talking about in terms of depicting a killing or a serial killing that is that is beyond it's not like a street rip or something it's it this is something deeper yeah okay that does that make sense yes and that's what i like about it is that 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 there's more of a reason for the death supposed to like well i saw a girl and she made me right yeah it's not a it's not a murder of passion it's very weighty uh, in uh, its sort of its its implied meaning that they're I think they're still getting at and I think that's 
Yeah, we that's still don't know why. That's one of the things we want to talk about. This is one of the things we want to talk about is that this phantom that's casting a shadow over the five episodes that are out now is the Yellow King, which is part of the literature that has been sort of collected as evidence in now word of mouth through extraneous criminals that has been collected over a number of years. This hasn't happened, you know, in a number of weeks following investigation. Now, they made a time jump, a very... For me, it was a very controversial time jump. I'm not totally on board yet. I'm looking forward to tonight. Uh, but they do make a time jump in terms of years past for these two detectives. But uh, do you want to kick off there with the Yellow King? Do you have any theories? Um, uh, they made a big deal of the, of the Ledoux thing. Right. But it was it was pretty clear, I thought, throughout these early episodes that Ledoux would not be the murderer. Um... <laughs> I, I, okay, well, first off, The Yellow King, uh, or The King in Yellow, uh, it's a Robert Chambers book, um, which I started Correct. reading. It's a little bit dense, but it was, like, an inspiration for Lovecraft, and, like, that kind of mythos got incorporated into the Cthulhu mm. mythos, and so, uh, it's not totally obscure, but, like, I hadn't heard of it until I watched the show, and there's the io9 article that kind of breaks it down. And so, th The King in Yellow, uh, Carcosa, uh, which are supposed to be, the, the whole story is kind of about, like, universal truths that once you read them they drive you mad mm -hmm. so that's kind of like what we're dealing with and so i mean i'm not sure like who the king in yellow is but i think like i, I think cole has seen some shit I, oh, you're a you're a cole i don't know if he's you're the, a cold backer i don't know if he's the murderer and i'm not sure how i'd feel about it if he was but I feel like he's he's being portrayed as kind of the character who has stared into the abyss. Of course, and I I mean, I mean you're more. Right. Than, I mean, obviously they've said that in the show, like you know he they was have. undercover, you know, undercover in a drug room for way longer drug, than he should have. Yeah, doing drugs. He's also an alcoholic. He's you know experienced. You know, he had a daughter that died. He had a marriage that fell apart. Like, this is a dude that's been through every kind of ringer that they can think of for a character. But I'm talking, uh, like, Abyss, like, on a cosmic level. Um, okay. I'm not sure how literal they're going to go with this. Um, if they're saying, like, what he's been through is, you know, the Abyss, like, this unknowable void sort of thing. Like, that. that's really just a metaphor for, like the trials and tribulations of your life, or if there is... I don't think Cthulhu's gonna show up in the show. Like, they're not gonna go straight up sci-fi. No. But, no, they're not gonna go... Yeah. But I mean, like, especially in the end of the fifth episode with, like, that ring in the tree, there's some... And, you know, like, a lot of the symbols that he finds in the school, th there is something, I think, a little more supernatural going on. That's weird. That's weird be because, to me, I don't think... I don't think the series is ever going to tip into the supernatural. I think all the supernatural is sort of implied. And I think the real monsters and darkness that that the, the series uh, confronts or posits is all really human nature. And I mean, in and, and Cole talks about it. it's. I mean, he has these amazing monologues, mm -hmm. both in the construct of the present day interviews, which sort of bookend or you know contextualize the flashbacks that we see but also in the field and in the field in the 90s then uh, is it 94 i can't remember I the, the 95 yeah and this this brings me to my theory um mm -hmm. he has a very i think i think it's the funniest of the monologues because marty gets a lot of funny replies 
And then, but uh, when they're watching the pastor's speech mm-hmm. and they're sort of looking at the congregation who have gathered under this tent, Nick Pizzolatto obviously has like a lot of like strong feelings about this sort of uh, blind reverence to religion. And it all just comes spilling out of coal. It's like, what is that author? Like the big like atheist author. Oh, Dawkins? Yeah, Dawkins. It's like Dawkins condensed in a very angry way and just spills out over like three minutes. And I don't know, it's sort of satisfying as someone who's not particularly religious, but it's also the way that they they shoot. There's a lot of like, I don't want to say weirdos, but the congregation is sort of weird. And the pastor, who is not only talking about nothing, I don't think that necessarily related to the Bible when he's talking, I have to, and this is a, this is a larger issue, but it's also cast a very talented actor in that role. He's been in several movies lately. He was in American Hustle, another one I can't think of, but he also has a major part in Boardwalk Empire. He's a great actor, and I can't believe that they hired him for like three scenes. Mm-hmm. And I do think that this con- this pastor and his congregation, where, I will remind you, I think at the end of the first or second episode, they found like a painting of a girl with antlers at a burned down church that they used to collect at. I don't, I think that this is very obviously a way that the story is going. And I feel that it's been one of the sort of failings of the show where as obsessive as they make Cole, they don't make him as smart as they're sort of saying that he is. Well, um, we haven't gotten to the end yet because they're just now getting to the point where they're saying Cole is pushing this case. Right, right, right. And I do, I do appreciate that, and I'm looking forward to seeing where that's going. But so he's um, up to something. He, I don't necessarily think he actually laid hands on those girls. Um, I don't think so either. No, I but think that's he great. knows. Something that reminded me actually of my other theory because I mean, I was kind of lured into thinking that the pastor was innocent because he was so helpful. And like, he mm-hmm. there, and I like this about the show too. There's no scene of like, well, why are you asking me this? I'm a man of God, blah blah blah. blah. It, it seemed like the predictable way to go, they didn't. But another character that they introduced early and then kind of forgot about was I think it's like the governor's brother who's also a pastor. And I don't know, people point out like a lot of Lovecraft is rich people going on retreat and taking the poor forgotten people that no one is really going to go after and care about and just torture and kill them and stuff. Right. And that was a a very sort of big red flag in the first episode where there was political, Mm -hmm. a political lens on this investigation and a, you know, a suspect one. And this isn't a spoiler because if you let everyone who likes the show is sort of obsessive about it. But if you watch the like next week and when I say next week, I mean tonight and I'm so excited. But that character comes back that he is viewed in, you know, the little like, you know, abstract sort of previews that they do week to week. So Mm -hmm. he does come back and I'm so excited because that is such a red flag in in the first episode. It's like, hey. The mayor or the governor's, like, brother, who's a pastor or, you know, a priest or whatever he is, is very interested in this case and seeing it done. And then there's also this societal sort of, like, pressure that they have that, like, hey, we have to deem this not only an atrocity as, you know, murdering, you know, this poor woman, 
but also it is a crime against God and Jesus. And mm-hmm. part of my problem with that is that it was established so early on or hinted at, and then they haven't really um, justified that. Like they, they sort of left that thread alone. And I think episode four, everyone talks about episode four as the big undercover tracking shot. Tracking shot. It was a good shot. Hey has it's it's amazing and it is amazing. I'm not even a fan of tracking shots. I, I think that a lot of people don't even notice them. But um, well, that's what this makes is a good tracking shot, shot is when you don't notice right, it. right, right. And well, I kind of forgot until they went over the fence. I'm like, how did they do I that? It, it was late in the tracking shot that I realized that they didn't cut, and I was yeah. like, this. I was like, man, this really feels like cops or something. And I was like, holy shit, they haven't cut in forever. And I, when I watched it again, I realized, well, oh, six minute shot. But getting back to that, one of the criticisms of the show is that we've lost sort of the stakes of the case. Like, why is Cole, the Matthew McConaughey character, risking so, so much to solve this case to adamant get to Ledoux? Adamant that it doesn't go to the task force. Yes, adamant that it doesn't go to another law enforcement agency. Mm-hmm. And that does make him suspect. And they're going that way. And, you know, that sort of retroactively makes stuff make sense. Because I don't believe Cole is involved, I'm and I still think little. Going after him too early to, for it. Yes, they're going after him too early. Yeah, this would be a great reveal, you know, episode seven or something. Right. But I don't, I don't think that Cole is involved. He's t- as much as a bastard that they make Cole, and they call him a bastard like three times every episode. He's actually a very likable character because, <laughs> uh, you know, through all this like existential, like jagged rhetoric that he has, I don't know, he does good work. Like he, you get behind him because he, he's good at what he does and he doesn't rest and he believes in what he does. And, and he's and come back from so much. They're setting, they're setting him up, against, up. Yeah, right. I, well, no, they're setting him up against Marty, who seems like, you know, the good cop. And then yeah. you see that he's actually a, he's right. a more conventional, everyday bastard. Right. Like, that's something, you know, can, hitting his daughter and stuff like that. Like, just <clears throat> stuff that happens all the time, yeah. everywhere, Can we talk? Yeah. Can we talk about Marty for a minute? Because McConaughey has sort of come forth as, like, the star of this show. But um, I'm and a big Woody Harrelson fan. He is incredible, and I agree to what you said earlier this episode about like wanting to nominate him for an Oscar for the the piece of work that he did that is not nominated for an Oscar. Like that <laughs> makes total sense to me because I was like, I want to celebrate this man. I don't care what he. It could be like a juggling so competition. It doesn't. I know. Me too. Because he. Oh God, he did so much shit. Like in the early two thousands and the nineties, he just got stuck in like some kind of like you know romantic comedy rut and he became sort of a butt of a lot of jokes but he has so so come out of that and he is i mean i think he's on a trajectory that he's going to be a celebrated actor yeah of uh of our time that said and all (laughs) all the credit that should be given to matthew mcconaughey i do want to talk about woody harrelson who I believe is another, he's just one of these guys. Hamish. Who, whatever he's in, yes, Hamish. I went to see uh, Out of the Furnace for the new year. Uh, Man, Christian Bale is in that. Zoe Saldana is in that. Casey Affleck is in it. All wonderful actors. And Mr. Harrelson steals the show because he's great. And he just just has this animal intensity intent for every role. And I do want to get to him because... He's sort of like the secret weapon of the show because 
as the foil to McConaughey, he's he has to man. be very believable. He is a straight man, but as a straight man, he's also way out of whack because he is more of a liar to me. He has the secret life. He has the affairs. He murders a suspect and, you know, hides it. Like, he is the straight man, but that's sort of his mask. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. he could be as dark as McConaughey. McConaughey is dark on the surface. Mm-hmm. and Harrelson is dark underneath. And that is such a great dichotomy that they got going and a great source of conflict. But when you think about it, all the drama from the show, like you said, hitting the daughter, there's the attack on the mistress, he kills Ledoux, all this stuff, it's all Marty. He's sort of driving underneath. He's this engine of pent-up hatred and sort of angst, and he's doing all these things underneath the case that are sort of popping up in weird ways as they investigate these horrible murders. Yeah, I just think it's 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 great. It's such a different lens on the procedural, where it's yeah. sort of anti-procedural. I think this show is going to have to be taken as a whole, at least as a season. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I like it, and I'm going to be sad when it's over, but, like, I mean, how they end it is going to matter. And that could make or break it. It was scripted as a whole, too, so I think, like, you know, they're not making it up as they go along. So I think that there is a plan here, and they're not just, like, spinning their wheels, because it was just meant to be a single-season miniseries. So I, I think it's going to go well, but, you know, I reserving judgment. <laughs> right. And it's good, it's good that you mentioned that, because it is the only, like, television event or series that is written by one person, Pizzolatto, mm-hmm. as I mentioned, and it... Every episode is directed by the same guy, an Asian man, Fukunaga. He did Jane Eyre with Fassbender and uh, Mia... Did he? Oh, however you pronounce her last name. Yeah, it was... (laughs) It's not my favorite Jane Eyre, but it's definitely beautiful. Yeah. It's a good... And so it's a good-looking show, which Uh. also helps. And I know I nag you about this all the time, but it's just giving me such Twin Peaks feels, especially with what you're saying about, like, is it supernatural or is it just is that just a metaphor and that's something that david lynch pioneered right and that's great and if i could mention one more thing that i love about the show very quickly is how it depicts the world that it takes place in this very desperate rural you know Mm -hmm. dying it's forgotten backwater it is that's exactly what it is and I've, i've had to make some drives from l.a to uh, the Bay Area recently, and I'm just stuck on uh, <laughs> the five forever, and it's just drought. It's just it's just farmers facing drought forever, and it's three hours of of just driving in a straight line in what feels like the middle of nowhere, and that nowhere is just like closing down. I think that beyond all the rhetoric in in the the dread and sort of the character stuff that they're building. I feel like that is sort of the convincing depressed state of of their region is sort of like the foundation it of what they're the, talking about. The whole what's the point ethos that Yes, um, it does has. because like, they're why bother? Because right. we're all like just dying out anyway. It's sparse and stark out there, but it is also gothic. And I know I've mentioned my favorite author, Flannery O'Connor who does a lot of, like, gothic southern stuff. Yeah. And it definitely taps into that vein a little bit. But I'm so excited. I'm so excited for tonight and for the the remaining two episodes oh, after that. I have to wait a day. Ugh, I'll be watching it tonight, and then on Gchat, I will be torturing you. No, you bastard. 
that's so good. Okay, I let's think Jeff's ready Jeff to be back. summoned. Yes. <laughs> we call you into being. Ah, Jeff! What? We invoke what? the spirit of Jeff, and what? he appears. <laughs> Jeff <laughs> is the king in yellow. Yeah. All right, I'm he back. smells worse than I would expect the spirit of Jeff to smell. Really? <laughs> I'm sorry. I tried it's to... Because... I tried Are you to drinking hydrogen. alcohol yet? Yeah. No, I'm still in water. Still he can water. smell you okay. across the country, so that's pretty bad. Oh, we, mm, mm. That might just be LA, Rob. That might just be LA that you're. Oh yeah, you know what? I, these windows open. Uh, it's the smog. I'm dying. I'm dying of cancer. I'm sorry, Rob. Is the smog or hope... the smog? Smog. Smog. <laughs> All right. Now that I have returned, it is uh, it is about time for us to wrap up this episode the same way we wrap up every episode of This Is Serious Business, and that's with our Geek of the Week segment, where we talk about things we've been watching, reading, doing, playing, etc. Outside of the things we've been talking about that we've been watching for the past, I don't know, hour all and the so, things. Yeah. Holy crap! This was quite an episode, but I feel like we were we were in need of a long one. It's been a while since we've had a good, really long, meaty yeah. episode. Oh, boy. I yeah. I haven't been on a podcast in forever, and then Jeff springs on us via the internet that uh, we're not getting Marcus anymore. Marcus is gone. I know. It's feel so bad sad. about that. It's so sad. But let's uh, let's start with Kristen on that one. Kristen, uh, what have you been up to lately? I was going to see Pompeii just for this segment, but I couldn't drag myself out of my apartment. <laughs> I'm still going to see it because it looks like another crazy hot mess, but yeah, I didn't get it so, right. Was that pun intended? <laughs> I mean, I already mentioned this, but I saw the Lego movie with a bunch of friends on Valentine's Day, which was actually an awesome way to spend the day. And we were having the most fun in that theater. And, you know, we're all in, like, our mid-twenties, so there are a bunch of kids in there. And one, like, really young child who was shrieking. I don't think that movie is for kids. There were so many jokes about, like, the 90s that it was like, this is a movie for us. For our generation. And it was so much fun. I mean, I love Chris Pratt. And then, I mean, I was cracking up one second and then holding in tears the next because I have a track record with animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> mm. But actually, well, I can't spoil it. You should just see it. But just the Spaceman character is so wonderful and it doesn't work out of context. Like, he just has, like, his crowning moment in the movie. And it we were just crying with laughter. And then it's on YouTube, but you just watch it by itself. It's not half as funny. But then the credits were rolling, and they showed the spaceman. It said, Charlie Day. It's like, that makes so yes. much sense. <laughs> that I now is, understand. Yeah. I love Charlie just, like, Day. deranged, Ugh. but sweet, good-natured character. Like, yeah, I get that. So, Lego Movie was excellent and not just for chris pratt but for everyone excellent yeah you are not the only tisby uh it to enjoy the lego movie john and michelle had very very good things to say about it's that, so, so good i need to i need to go see it too definitely Me too. Need to go see it too uh, all right moving on rob rob what have you been up to oh, fuck I, I spent Kristen's whole geek of the week trying to think of something i'm drawing a blank thanks for listening about- buddy <laughs> You can just say that we've talked about all of the things that you've been watching. Yeah, lately. I've been watching House of Cards and True Detective like an addict. Okay, I saw a movie. Um, Good for you. And this, this will go back to our Oscar discussion very quickly. The Philomena, which is not a movie I'd go to see by myself. But I was with the girlfriend and, you know, in Palo Alto, there are very few theaters in movie times. And this was what was available. 
And I actually just went because it was nominated for Best Picture, and I hadn't even heard of it, basically, until then. It's actually very good. You were making all these excuses. It sounded like you were like, well, I, you know, I wouldn't go see that movie normally. <laughs> I wouldn't. I would have, wouldn't have thought of it. It's Stephen Frayers who did The Queen. Um, it's an awesome movie. It is an awesome movie. I didn't realize that. It's Steve Coogan. He's done a bunch of stuff. He did a Hamlet 2. He did The Trip. Oh, my God. And Judy Dench. Yeah, it is. But it is a little more serious than that. And I I would have to say, if there was any disappointment to have with the movie, it was the fact that the the humor is very muted and mature. And I did laugh several times because there's just wonderful stuff between Steve Coogan and, and Judy Dench. But at the same time, it feels like an Oscar movie from like '97 or something. Like it's <laughs> one of those one of those true stories that gets brought into fruition by very masterful actors and a very tasteful director. Much like Captain Phillips, in a way, I think they both have a lot in common. I was actually blown away by how like charmed I was by this movie. So Steve Coogan, Judy Dench, a heartbreaking but also very humorous trip to find a lost child basically many years after the fact and it's great steve coogan is uh is amazing he has every vote that i have after the trip and i think there's a trip sequel coming out which i think is going to be amazing but yes go see philomena it's not going to win best picture because i think it's it's one of those underdog nominations but it is definitely worth your time so go see it Nice, very nice. My thing this week is not terribly geeky, but I got engaged yesterday. Yay! <laughs> to uh, to uh, my girlfriend of eight years, Lori, the voice of this podcast at the very beginning and at the very end. So I am super duper <laughs> excited about that, and now I have to, or we have to plan a wedding, which... Uh, have fun with that! I guess that'll be kind of geeky. It'll involve lots of spreadsheets. Oh, yeah. oh my god. The dark secret of this is that quote-unquote Lori is just a, a stock voice actress that we hired. <laughs> so so Jeff is actually marrying the intro to every podcast. There's there's no Lori. He's just, uh, it's just him in the MP3 file. It's like her, just, but uh, with podcasts. Yes, it's like her. Yes, it's, it's, that's I exactly just, I it. spliced the words in different <laughs> orders to create little yes. conversations. <laughs> got a soundboard. It's very limited, but, you know, we can. Yeah, that. I mean, this is serious business can become a lot of different things. <laughs> serious is business this. Um, no. No, I am actually getting married to a real person, and I love her very much. But well, it's very good. I'm very uh, happy. We were so warmed and uh, touched to hear it. We know that you and uh, Lori have been uh, together for a long time, so makes sense. And uh, fucking just, finally, just exciting to hear it come into fruition. So throw a ring on uh, it, Jeff. A very, a very happy Tisby congratulations to Jeff and Lori. Thank you so much, and you guys will be invited to the wedding, of course. Oh, what? Man. Yeah. On the record. Oh my god. On the record. Regret that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So hard. Prepare for me to be ah, just drunk and hugging your ankles the uh, whole time. That'll be great. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> that visual uh, is amazing. No, we might. We might. <laughs> yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna try to come up with a cool wedding. Might be a bonfire involved. We'll see. <gasps> Oh, we'll boy. See. What? Yeah. We'll Don't... see. We'll see. 
It might be, it might be too hard. I'm not, I'm not making any promises. Stop I will not have all my, I will not have all my motor skills at their sharpest. Yeah, so bonfire near I don't, Bob, near Rob. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to be admiring the bonfire and then suddenly be the bonfire. <laughs> hey, hey, what's that light? Does it want to dance with me? <laughs> the light is hey, my friend. Uh, you really? I saw you from across the room. Do, do you? Would you take this dance? Ow! <laughs> yes, that is that is me at the bonfire. Oh, and then you would just sort of shrug and walk away while on fire. Uh, <laughs> the bonfire is getting closer. I'd be dousing too much whiskey at that point. I, I would go up in flames. Oh, would, all right, all right. Suddenly, there's two bonfires. <laughs> Uh, at this point, at this point, I want to give you guys to make any shout-outs and to let people know where they can find you online. Starting with Kristen, if she is not dying of laughter. <laughs> uh, I have to shout-out to two Tumblrs that are relevant. One is True Detective Conversations. Mm. <laughs> Doing anything special for Valentine's Day? Investing in a long-term monogamous relationship is like building a house of cards, so I'll be spending the day watching its second season on Netflix. And then just Marty staring out the window like, what the <laughs> fuck is your problem? And it's just, it, wow. it just made a meme of it. It's great. And then also... Such a collision <laughs> of our topics this week. Yeah. There's also this head Oscar buzz, .tumblr.com. Don't pretend like nobody ever predicted these movies would be total award winners. So it's just oh, movie posters yeah. of... Show me that, right? Yeah, I think so. The Horse yes, Whisperer, yeah. The Libertine, Broken Flowers. Remember those movies? Only barely. Yes. Secretariat. <laughs> it's so sad. It's, just a, it's basically a bunch of movies that early on were in quote-unquote Oscar contention, but then when Oscar nominations finally came out, by the time they came out, they were completely forgotten. It's like they were like Oscar, they had Oscar buzz and then they came out and it's like, oh. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's even more damning. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right for the jugular. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, so shout out to those two tumblers. They're excellent. I'll probably be reblogging some of that shit. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at Nero's Liar. Oh, also it's John's birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, John. Nice. Let's move on to Rob. Rob, where can people find you? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Heroes Are Boring. And uh, no shout-outs this week. I'm uh, keeping to myself. Gotcha. You can follow me on Twitter at TisbyJeff. That's T-I-S-B-J-E-F-F. -F. You can find us online at TisbyCast.com, along with links to our Facebook, our Twitter, our... Do we have a MySpace? No. Uh, our Tumblr, etc., etc., etc. And uh, as always, I have absolutely no idea how to end this episode. What do you think of Jay Leno's final show? I think there are approximately 57 million better things to think about. Yes. I think because it's been such a success, Netflix has renewed it, or That's at least is pursuing a third season. Such a shame. They've got to um, show a fall. They've got to. Yeah. No, they really do. Uh, they really, really uh, So do. what, is he fucking president now? Is he president? Just tell me. No, I'm not telling you. Um, but, uh, so we'll, we'll talk kind of about it but let's not reveal the ending of the season let's say uh let's say like the first half of the season is fair game for spoilers and uh no i want to talk about episode 24 no we can talk about episode 24 Please. which one was 24 what happened oh yes oh oh come on jeff it's what Kristen. the the, <laughs> the three-way jeff it's Kristen. <laughs>
I mean, that wasn't that, that wasn't that surprising. I they've know. Been like, they've been like grooming him to be there a little. It's not about it being surprising, Jeff. Yeah. It's about it being existing. Right. And uh, and Kristen watched it. That's. I mean, they, 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 they had run out of. They, they had oh yeah. Okay, no, 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 no. It. We gotta we gotta save this for the cast because uh, I was about to start oh, honey, talking. Oh, I'm putting this in. This is serious business. Everybody else on that show sucks except that guy who was like, <laughs> you know.